What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Vicky Chen, Head of Strategy in Copenhagen for Virtue Nordic. She's worked at Naked, at Sydney, in Amsterdam, at AKQA. She's taken a few days off and she's over on the west coast of the USA right now. She studies psychology. She was a therapist and today we're going to talk about the topic, you don't have to go to ad school to get into planning. What's up, Vicky Chen? Hey, Mark. It's good to be talking to you again. I was just at your workshop in London. It was so nice to connect. Yeah, and I was at your office a few days before that in Copenhagen, which was very cool. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to go to ad school to get into planning. Let's start with you. How did you get into planning? Well, I really started in planning. It's, It's totally by chance. As you mentioned already, I was a psychotherapist. So I went to, you know, grad school, study psychology, was working as a psychotherapist with a very difficult population after I graduated. I was working with domestic violence victims. So I was doing bilingual counseling with the kids that come from like violent backgrounds. And that was so emotionally draining and difficult. Um, I kind of burned out after a year and I thought I just, I needed something that was less internal, you know, that you carry less of the burden inside of you. And maybe how could I use you know, my interest in people and apply it outward. So my brother worked in media back in the day and uh, his director of strategy at his office was a clinical psychologist. So he's like, hey, you know, maybe you should consider thinking about advertising as a potential different career. So yeah, I, I was in New York at that time and I basically cold called a bunch of agencies and it's like, hey, who's gonna, who wants to try me out? This is my background. These are my interests. And uh, yeah, let's see how we can work together. And that's how I ended up at Naked Communications um, back in the day, just as an intern for three months to start and started my career there. And when you say cold call, do you mean cold phone calls or emails or facsimiles? All of the above. Uh, It was mainly emails followed by a phone call. You know, so I just, I emailed a ton of agencies like that I found interesting who Hmm. had a cool website because I didn't, I didn't know anybody in the industry in New York. So it was literally, yeah, sending emails like, hello, this is Vicky, blah, blah, blah. How did you pitch yourself? Oh, I can't remember. But it was basically, yeah, I'm you know, a psychotherapist by training. I love people. I love understanding behaviors and nuances. So let's see if I can apply myself into a, a different industry where it's about, yeah, analyzing the masses essentially, right? And coming up with a plan or a strategy. And so you took an internship in New York at what age? Hmm, let's see here. Let me do some math. I was 27. Okay. How did people feel about a 27-year-old doing an internship? I don't think people batted an eyelash, truly. Okay. And how did you feel being an intern at 27? I'm not making it about age, but I am. I mean, this is, like, I just want to hear hmm. how, how it feels because I'm sure there are other people out there who are curious about making a leap maybe into this industry or out of this industry. And perhaps they're like, maybe I'm too old to get an internship. Will someone take me seriously? Yeah, I think maybe it's thinking less about yourself as an intern because I never thought of myself as an intern. I was a you know, master's degree holder. I was practicing as a psychotherapist. I had a sense of self already. You know, and I and I knew that you know I'm not a dumb person. So it's like if I work hard, if if I'm really dedicated in trying to learn a craft, I will do fairly well despite my level, right? So I never had a title of intern. I was always just a strategist um, starting at Naked. So I think that also kind of you know helps shift the mindsets. Like I'm not just someone who's supposed to get you the coffee, right? I'm there to help do the work, do the research, 
you know, understand the industry. Mm-hmm. And going to ad school, was that something that you thought you had to do? Was it something you investigated? No, but I, I meet a lot of, um, I meet a lot of planners, obviously, who have gone through ad school. And I, I think it's, it's very different approach to work, right? I think when you come from, uh, at least the people I've met that have gone to ad school, they tend to have like, you know, it's like if you went to law school, you have like a career trajectory ahead of you already planned out. It's like, okay, these are the agencies I need to get into to start off, you know, after I graduate. And that's going to set me in motion for my career to like climb to the top. You know, it's, it's more planned out. Whereas like my entire career has been kind of a bunch of mishaps, right? I stumbled mm-hmm. upon advertising and I think that's, that's totally okay to not know what your next step is. Mm-hmm. And every single one of the agencies I've worked at has a slightly different take on strategy. So essentially, every time I went to a different company, I, I, I started over a little bit, right? Because yeah. you have to learn what that company is about. And that's okay. I think it's, it's knowing that you, know, you don't have to know everything in your job all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. I want to come back to that. So when you're talking about ad schools, are you talking about studying advertising in university or more the, I guess, private enterprises? Yes, studying in university. Like Miami Ad School, like Brand Center, you know, they have formalized programs that basically prepare you for a career in advertising. Okay. And so when you, when you talk to people about not having to go to one of them to get into planning, what beliefs do you think you're trying to shake from them within that statement? I think it's uh, being open to the unpredictable. You know, because again, I th- I, I've mentioned that the people I've met who've gone to ad school, they tend to have like a very clear career path and they're like, okay, I can't deviate from this. You know, this is, this is what I want to do and these are the steps I have to take. It's like, well, you know, if you take a year off to go, you know, be a barista or a bartender somewhere else in the world, that's not going to take away from your future career, so to speak. Mm. So I think it's being open to exploring different opportunities. And that's, that, I think that's crucial to being yeah. a strategist, right? Because then it's the curiosity about the world and the learnings that you'll have in different capacities and different, um, I don't know, roles that will enable you to be a more well-rounded planner. I I agree with that. And I come from that school of thought and growing up in the industry, I don't think there were many ad schools at all, let alone ad schools that planners could attend. However, when I've met people at some of the ad schools, and sometimes there are other reasons for going to ad school, like you're trying to get a visa in a new country. And and I've taught at some of them. And then in the breaks, half the students want to talk about how to get visas. But at the same time, that career mindedness and the step leads to the next step. And then I become a planner and then I become a head of planning. I actually think that's also powerful. So I agree with what you're saying. And I also do admire people who have that thought because I see them on the internet. I get all the emails and you would get a lot of them too. And the messages on LinkedIn. And then eventually they get a job and then they start to do well and they rise. And some at some point, they're not going to be in the industry based on statistics. But I, I do think there's something powerful about being career-minded, especially in a career-oriented society. Absolutely. Now, I'm definitely not saying this is not the way to go, but I think it's you don't have to go through that same career path. You could have been a doctor in your previous life, so to speak, if, and you can still get into strategy and advertising. Okay. So someone who is a doctor right now who wants to get into advertising, they might love hearing you say that. And then they're dealing with like a junior HR person who doesn't get it or someone who's looking for exact apple to exact apple for a bum on a seat. How can they make that leap? 
Well, I think it's how you pitch yourself, right? Like how I pitched myself was, I was a psychotherapist, but I love understanding people and behaviors. And I was writing for a column in New York called Click Z around behavioral marketing. So, you know, it's, it's basically being crafty and resourceful with what you have and trying to make the most out of your background. Mm. Um, but I think that goes for any industry and any career when you're trying to make that leap. It's not just, you know, from psychotherapy to advertising or, you know, being a doctor to something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for thinking in public. Do you have a sense of to what degree you thinking and publishing in public helped your job opportunities in those early years of the transition? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think it's something to add to the resume when everything is very competitive, for sure. You know, I'm definitely not publishing or writing now. So in that regard, it's like, I think it's, it's not a must, but it's certainly an advantage when you're starting out. So the more things you can put on your resume and the more interests you have that kind of broadens you as a person, um, it's only to your advantage. Well, also those things are credibility cues. And so I, I can't cite the, the source of the research, but I, I believe that when decisions are happening in very ambiguous contexts that social signals play an important role. And that's why a lot of people do hire from agencies that they respect or people who've won awards, whether or not they're necessarily better day to day than other people. And so I have a feeling that publishing online in uh, ClickZ is just that little extra cue, C-U-E, that helps you stand out as a, it, as a credibility signal, right? Yeah. And, and it shows that you can write, right? I think that's, that's fairly important. In, in strategy where it's all about communications and you of all people would know strategy is your words. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and so what do you think are some of the weaknesses of ad schools, not necessarily naming names, but for students who want to get into planning, what are some of the weaknesses of that ad school process? I don't think it's a weakness about the process, but it's more you're teaching ideologies, right? And you really can't apply yourself in the right way until you hit the real world. So I think ads, look, I'm not going to name any ad schools, but something, for example, I will say the, the name like Hyper Island, right? Because a lot of Hyper Island people go into strategy, right? Um, and go into the creative industry in general, but they teach such blue skies thinking. And it is so philosophical that you have students who, you know, are wanting to change the world, which is great. But I, I give a lot of people, especially, you know, people who are just starting out, like a bit of a little question to answer. Like, if you were in my shoes, how would you go about approaching this problem? And oftentimes the solutions that they come back to me are just so unrealistic and they actually can't explain it to me in a, in a very concrete or real world way. Like it's all based on philosophy, for example. It's like, well, you know, if we were to do this, then this would happen. It's like, well, that's, that's not reality. And it's important to ground your thinking in reality. Otherwise, it's not going to get carried out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think f- having taught in a few, t- talked in a few as well, and then been around some judging of, of competitions in some, it's been interesting to see how people who've not worked in advertising go to ad school and then immediately echo the attitudes, the stereotypical attitudes that you can see in some advertising agencies. So like sometimes Mm -hmm. the copywriter art director pair when they're presenting ideas just look all moody and like they don't respect everybody. The account person talks over everyone. The strategist is a bit confused. Uh, I found that interesting because maybe that's just how we all are in our, and that's what attracts us to our particular trade. But that always disturbs me when I see the kind of toxic 
behaviors and attitudes that can appear in agencies appearing in the schools that are, that are teaching people about the industry. Do you think it's also because, you know, people who tend to teach at the schools are from certain agencies or what, it, it, why does that, why does that keep happening? Right. It could be. I mean, I see, I would see more things like that as projections of people's personality traits. So that if you're a little bit introverted, creative, not that it has to be about introversion, but if you're a bit creative, a bit of a malcontent, you're writing, you're drawing, you're designing, a lot of people are going to be a little bit dark, not everybody, but a lot. So I I just, and the account person is often going to be more extroverted, more process oriented, so on and so forth. Yeah. Strategists tend to be the introverts. Tend to be. Yeah. No, it's always surprising when I talk about that and someone's like, I'm not, I'm extroverted. It's always interesting that. So if you don't have to go to ad school to get into planning, is there anything that you haven't talked about already that could help someone work out what to do? So networking, contacting people, taking initiative, publishing in public, what else could somebody do? Because to hear that from someone who's already ahead of strategy, someone might say, oh, that's all very easy for you to say because you're just talking about your own career. Well, I think networking is, of course, important. And if we're saying most strategy people tend to be introverted, they also tend to be not as good at networking. I'm speaking for myself. Mm-hmm. I, I don't consider myself a particularly strong networker, but I think it's about finding people that you really have a connection with and building deeper relationships as opposed to <clears throat> trying to get to know the world. Um, and that's kind of how I've kind of functioned through life. So for me, that works. Okay. So I, I know... And I realize this in myself that what, however my introversion exists, that I use these set pieces to kind of put a little bit of energy out there or to try to get some energy in a room. And a set piece could be everything from what we're doing right now, a podcast, to writing, to tweeting, to orchestrating a meeting agenda where I know I've got five or 10 minutes or maybe it's for hours uh, where I could actually do my thing because the rest of the time my brain's just overflowing with, oh my God, all these people are here. I don't know what I'm going to say. What if I say the wrong thing? And you just said the wrong thing. How do you think I feel right now? <laughs> well, maybe similar. Like, oh. <laughs> How can an introvert network? I haven't figured that out for myself yet. But again, I think if you're at an event that is, you know, industry related, it's, you know, instead of trying to meet everybody in the room, you try to find one or two people, persons that you feel like there's a connection with, and you try to build a conversation that can be a little bit of substance. I think actually going to your workshop the other day was a good example. You know, there's a classroom of say, what was 45 people, right? But I ended up having a conversation mainly with four to five. Mm-hmm. So these are, these are the people that somehow it is, you know, humans are social creatures, right? We feed off of each other's energy. You identify with some more than others for some inexplicable reason. And those that you kind of feel a connection with, you strike up a conversation and yeah, you just try to get to know each other and not necessarily do all the small talk like, Oh, you know, immediately asking like, how did you get here in your career? But it's, it's finding the human connection, you know, like what, why are you here today? Like, what is it that you are hoping to do? And I think you actually set the precedence in the workshop itself by kind of telling your personal story, right? And that laid the foundation for, for the rest of us, you know, in the, in the happy hour to kind of share more about our personal lives. And that, that's how, yeah, that's how we built, for me, that's how I found, you know, these four to five people, like we had great conversations around our lives and not just around our jobs. Okay, that made okay. a huge difference. Yeah, I wonder how to... I'd not really thought about that because I end those days with TMI, with oversharing, and I never know what's actually going to come out. I just know the general mm. story I want to say and then a bunch of little stories pop up. And then 
it does seem to help people connect later on because I, st- I basically smash all the pretense with oversharing. But I hadn't thought about that before. And often when I've done it, I'm just trying to rush through it because I'm like, this is probably really awkward for people. I feel like I'm inflicting on them too much honesty and I'm not going to get into the stories now. But so that, that context setting is interesting. The other thing I would say is doing public talks for an introvert is a good way to network because people yeah. might come up to you. And then the final thing is one thing I've been trying to do lately because I, I caught myself in a few events recently where I really did want to talk to people that I'd known online for a long time and I just stood in the one place for like two hours. Now I say to myself, okay, talk to three groups of people, but here's my problem. I did this in Brazil. I walk around and I say to people, my aim tonight is to talk with three groups of people. Hi, how are you? And, I just, and, I, <laughs> and I'm like, surely like the self-awareness just what is that? It just came out yeah. in a bizarre way. And then I finished talking and I don't like hurting people's feelings by moving on. So I'll say, I'm now going to move on now. And so I just, <clears throat> or I'm now going to move on. So I, <laughs> I tell people what I'm doing as I'm doing it. It's so stupid. Well, at least you're transparent. Whereas, you know, maybe there are some extrovert tactics that are like, yeah, let me get back to you about that. You know, let, let me, let me just grab a drink and come right back. And you never do. And I think that's, that's even worse. Yeah. I can't handle that. Yeah. Do your thing, Mark. <laughs> so based on, so you, I know you would have hired a lot of people over the years. What do you, th- what is ad school good for? I think it's a lot of young strategists have, you know, myself included, like the word insight and the word problem and the word strategy that this is so open to interpretation. And I think what ad school is good for is, you know, teaching that in a structured way. So you kind of get it. You know, there's a formalized process to understanding how you go from research to moving into insights to moving into creative inspiration and into creative territory. Mm. So I think, yeah, that is definitely a strength. You know, I wish I had done like maybe a master class in that um, at an out school uh, in my earlier planning days. But yeah, so for sure, there's huge benefits to going to out school and getting an education in strategy and planning. Yeah. Okay. And then as someone who employs strategy folk, how important is a portfolio to you? So I don't think it's absolutely crucial to have one. If you have one, I'll definitely look at it, but it's more the content, right? And what is inside this portfolio? I need to, I need to get a sense of how you think. And also what you identify to be an insight, is that truly interesting or insightful, or is it just a statistic, you know, or is it a data point? Mm -hmm. So for those who do not have a portfolio, it's also understanding how they think, right? So it's like I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's I always pose a bit of a, a, a problem. Like this is something you're trying to solve for. How would you go about solving it? Just to get a, an idea of their thinking process. And this goes for senior level people as well that, I'm, you know, that I have interviews with. It's like, I just, I just want to get a little glimpse inside your mind. You know, is, is it a structure in mind? Is it a crazy creative mess? You know, I'm not saying there's a right way or a wrong way, but I like to see how people arrive from point A to B. And that, that is, in essence, strategy, right? So if you're able to communicate that to me, the process from A to B, in an interesting, compelling, insightful way, then yeah, we have a match. Okay. okay. And is it then fair to say that the flaw in many portfolios that you see is to not do any of that? Yeah. Where, you know, I, I feel like I have definitely seen portfolios as like theoretical brands that they have created. It's like, this is a brand that's going to solve X problem in the world. And it just, it makes me kind of roll my eyes a little bit. It's like, this is not grounded in reality. You know, and this would never really happen. Like, it's just too fluffy and too mm-hmm. theoretical. How do you 
get that idealism into a useful place in an agency when you bring someone in because we all have versions of idealism but i think through that ad school process i've seen a lot of what you're talking about mm. uh, and and also a lot of people who are interested in uh social action or purpose type of yeah. work their heads can be way up in the clouds how do you help someone land from their idealism or land with their idealism somehow intact you, you show them the client brief. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing to have the idealism. And I do think creative work can be super inspirational and purposeful. And we try to do that, you know, with select clients at Virtue as well, if not all of them. It's just, but you have to be realistic in the relationship you have with the client and what level of relationship you're at. If you're just at the beginning stages, is often a little bit harder to go for the inspirational purpose work. But if you've been working with a client for even a little while, they trust you. They're more open to, you know, the bigger thinking, blue skies, you know, purpose, ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are the main things that you have kept with you from therapy school or psychotherapy school? The main ideas, the main tools, the main techniques that you have kept with you in your advertising career? I think it's showing empathy and listening skills. Because as a therapist, that's really one of the core competencies is that you're not just there to hear someone speak, but you're there to listen to what they have to say. There's nuances in language, in tonality, in their body language. And that communicates a world of really what they're trying to express to you. And I think this is very useful for both clients, but also within building your team. Right. So sometimes you have a team member who may be frustrated, but they won't outwardly say that. They'll be like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. And, you know, having these interpersonal communication skills and having that emotional intelligence is like, no, everything is not fine. Let's, you know, sit down for 15, 20 minutes and go through, go through the project that you're currently working on and let's identify where you're stuck and let's work through them. Mm. because I, I sense it, right? So it's, it's having, it's kind of like a, the spidey feeling sixth sense that helps me have a better working relationship with um, those around me. Do you ever feel that you apply the therapy skills too much, that maybe you shouldn't be so empathetic, that maybe you shouldn't think so much about these things and, and just get on with it? Sure. I probably do that at times, but yeah, I, I feel like I have to work in a way that works for me. Me constantly analyzing the scenario, understanding people where they at, not just mentally, but emotionally. Uh, I think it, it builds for a stronger bond or a better trust with people those that I work with. Okay. Uh, earlier, you mentioned how it's all very well to have gone to ad school. And then as soon as you join one agency, you kind of have to start over again to some degree. And then you join another agency and you have to start over again. If we look at three of the agencies that you've joined. Could you tell us how you had to start over? So Naked, you've mentioned joining as an intern. What, what did you really have to learn and focus on there? That is more research skills and applying that in a way that is useful to whoever I'm working under. So insights is something that strategy people talk about all the time, but it's understanding, okay, what is an insight that is useful for creative versus just a statistic or a piece of data. But I think at, at Naked, it was kind of working with many different agencies, right? So Naked was kind of the agency that sat at the core that kind of orchestrated one big idea with all the PR agencies, with the ATL agency, because that's when everything was, you know, all the media mix was so split. So that was 
what I took away is like you really need someone to manage all the different client partners in order to execute an idea all the way through. Hmm. Uh, and I, when I went to Sid Lee in Amsterdam, they're a super fascinating company because they have so many arms in their business. They actually have an architecture arm. So they, you know, we built physical experiences. So my first big pitch with the company was actually building Red Bull's headquarters for the Benelux that was a little bit outside of Amsterdam. So it's a totally different type of strategy and research and thinking about what is that big core idea that you want to execute because it has to be applied through space and not just through like an ad. Hmm. Right. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. AKQA. Then, Let's do AKQA. Let's also do Virtue. Sure. So from Sid Lee to AKQA, the reason I wanted to go to a digital agency because we were creating a ton of websites when I was at Sid Lee. So we had all these designers, you know, creating beautiful sites for clients. And I always asked the question, I was like, well, why do you put that button there as opposed to somewhere else? Right. And like, why, what, what, I, I didn't know what a user flow was back back then, but mm-hmm. I was always fascinated. Like, how do you decide what goes where? Because the a website is a blank page, right? And we didn't exactly have UX designers there. So, you know, the designers kind of designed intuitively based on their experience. So I was like, well, that's curious that there must be some sort of formula or process behind this. So I thought maybe if I went to a digital agency, I could understand what this is all about. And when I went to AKQA, that's like a whole new world opened to me because then UX and UI became something that I had like never really knew existed before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and you were able to get near that based on your background? Because sometimes I feel like nowadays you might be kept a little bit distant from that in some places because these departments and these fields have become much more formalized. Or, yeah. yeah, I think you're right in that because, yeah, I think back in the day, everybody did a little bit of everything, right? And even though AKQ was specialized in digital, it's, you know, you still had brand strategy components because you still had clients that wanted campaigns and that had to come from a big core idea. So I was lucky enough to go through the brand strategy angle, but then work closely with UX and design teams to bring that to life in a digital space, like through an app or through a website that then, you know, AKQ would build. So yeah, I think I, I learned on the job, but it was so fulfilling because it was like, ah, finally, all these questions I had were answered and there's a discipline behind it. Mm. And then vice and virtue, what was the shift there? That was moving from just, you know, brand strategy, advertising into content and publishing. So, I mean, I think most people have the knowledge that Virtue is the agency built out of Vice, which, you know, is the media powerhouse. But the way we approach our work is, you know, through creating engaging content that doesn't feel like advertising. Mm. So in that sense, that, that was also a new learning because previously I had only made ads that were meant for TVCs or, you know, meant for a social channel mm. or a website banner. So having this kind of a different angle, a more cultural angle was something, yeah, that I was able to learn and grow into. So having been in Denmark for a few years now, do you have a sense of the culture of planning in Denmark? Is it the same as everywhere else? Are there any idiosyncrasies? I wouldn't say idiosyncrasies, but the scale of the community is so much smaller. I've done, of course, a little bit of networking and I've met some planners, whether it's through the interviewing process of maybe a potential prospect that would work together with me. But I know there's high interest in building a stronger strategy community. 
but it's, it's just a small market, right? You're talking about a population of five plus million in the entire country. And about 1.2, I believe, is around in Copenhagen. So if you just do the numbers, like the actual number of people in advertising is quite small. So therefore, advertising strategy is also quite small. So yeah, I would love for there to be more network maybe in the Nordics. You know, so again, going to your workshop, I met some planners from Oslo, some from Stockholm, and it was, it was really nice. It's like, oh yeah, you know, maybe we don't have to just think so locally that like Copenhagen strategy community, but maybe the broader Nordic strategy community. So okay. hopefully there will be more, um, more network building, but I think it's, it's very cultural. From what I understand from the Danes themselves is that, you know, networking is not, it's not really a thing in Danish culture. People are very, you know, you network in the sense that you go to school with some people, you work with some people, and it's just kind of through the course of your life, you know, you get to know people. There's not really like all these networking events that you have 20 a week in big cities like New York, London, or San Francisco. Uh, are there any other interesting quirks? I mean, I've, I've been around Scandinavia a few times now, and often the teams I'm working with, everybody usually eats together at a particular time. People do tend to leave earlier than in the US, for example. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're any- talking about the broader work culture, yeah, let's absolutely. Do that. Sure. I mean, the work life balance is next to none in, in Scandinavia, it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, if you have children, you usually leave anywhere between 3 to 4 p.m. And there's not necessarily an expectation that you have to work again later on, Mm. you know. So that is, like, unheard of in U.S. For someone like myself, I definitely try to, you know, I have a young kid, so I pick up on certain days and I usually just log back on after my baby's asleep. Mm. But it's like, you won't get the evil eye from your colleagues, you know, where people won't be like, oh, there goes Vicky again, leaving early. It's like, no, no, you know, if you do your work, you get it done. There's a level of trust that you can get it done from anywhere and that you don't have to physically be in the office. And that is really refreshing. What else is different? Um, You mentioned the lunch thing. Yes, that is... I don't know if it's particular to Scandinavia, though, because I've also worked in, in uh, Amsterdam, and that was also the, the culture where you sit down together in a long table and have like a, a quick lunch together. So yeah, there's a certain sense of community. I think, you know, at least within virtue, it's, you're on pretty good terms with your colleagues, so you definitely see each other outside of working hours, mm. you know, f- from a social perspective. So that's, that's also really nice. Yeah. Is there one final difference that has piqued your interest? Everybody likes to wear black. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh, I think we, someone took a picture of the lunchroom once and the caption was on Tuesdays we wear black. And it was literally, there's probably 25 people in the, in the canteen, in the lunchroom and everybody was in black. It's, pr- it's pretty funny. <laughs> That's funny. And what about uh, any key differences between your experience in Copenhagen compared to Amsterdam? That's probably just company to company. Yeah, because local Dutch agencies also have a better work-life balance. But when I worked in Amsterdam, it was insane. I worked, you know, regularly, yeah, 60 to 80 hour weeks um, because we were a small shop and we were hitting such high growth. So there was zero work-life balance. Whereas now in Copenhagen, uh, I have quite the opposite. I have a fairly good work-life balance. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So let's put a knot on this. We started off talking about how you don't have to go to ad school to get into planning. Any final thoughts? 
Well, if anything, I would encourage more people from different backgrounds to consider strategy because I think it is one job area that, you know, is very open to people from other backgrounds. Like, for example, you can't go into law or you can't become a doctor just because you're interested in it. You know what I mean? Like you need formalized training. But with strategy, this is where like, if you have the heart, you have the mind, and you want to dedicate yourself to a way of working, a way of thinking, you can, you can learn it and you can absolutely have a career in it. Hmm. So I think if, if, if anything, it's, it's encouraging anybody out there who is hoping to make that career switch. Yes, you're going to start on the low end and yes, it's not going to pay well at the beginning, but it's at least possible. And that's, that's a great feeling because it's the opportunity, right? Love it. Love it. Vicky, where are you most active on the internet? I am actually most active on Instagram. LinkedIn is a close second. I think it's best to find me on LinkedIn because my Instagram is private. Okay. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Awesome, Vicky. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hopefully more people who have different backgrounds will feel slightly more optimistic about being able to get into planning because of this. And I guess they can always email you for tips, can't they? Can't they? Absolutely. And I'm a big believer in giving back. You know, I'm I always say I always make time for things and I, I truly do because I do believe what's so fulfilling about where I am now as a head of strategy is I'm able to help, hopefully help inspire some younger minds or help give some guidance in their career, whether they're trying to get into it or trying to move to a higher level. So I find that really personally meaningful. Um, So if I can help in any way that I can, hit me up. Mm, Love it. All right, Vicky, thank you for joining me. Hopefully see you again in Scandinavia sometime or somewhere in the world. Yeah, I'm sure we'll meet each other somewhere. We did catch the same plane, but you know, you were at one end and I was at the other end. So that was, yeah. it's going to happen Commu- again. Commuting into London together was an unexpected treat. That was really fun. I, well, I needed that because my head was all over the place. So thank you for <laughs> showing me how to get around. Until next time. Peace.